Money can't buy a class Money can't buy a class Elegance is learned, my friends Elegance is learned, oh yeah Money can't buy a class Money can't buy a class I'm Gemma and I'm Phoebe and this is money can't buy you class money can't buy you class is a uh, ongoing conversation about the intersection of reality television and critical theory and uh, today we have two incredibly special guests um, who are not only two special guests they're also siblings love uh, which we love <laughs> we'd love to have first siblings. time first time we've had siblings um, yes, we're joined today by Eloise and Tobias Hess, and we're going to talk about The Bachelorette, which is a brand new foray for this pod. I actually, I had never, I had, so I'd been scared of The Bachelor Nation, as it's called, mm-hmm. before Tobias and Eloise approached me um, in the middle of Koreatown at <laughs> karaoke and persuaded me to watch The Bachelorette. At which point I became totally engrossed and spent like my entire day watch, like binge watching this season. So not only is it the first time we've discussed Bachelor Nation on the podcast, it's the first time I, Phoebe Kaufman, have ever gotten into The Bachelor. Yeah, what are you guys' Bachelor origin stories? Because I started watching it with you, Eloise, in part. Well, you'd have to go back to Tobias's infancy. <laughs> <laughs> born into the womb of bachelor nation (laughs) (laughs) yeah we i started watching with you eloise it was jake pavelka who that must have been 2008 or maybe seven and he is a pilot and like the whole thing was that he was like the sexy pilot and two pilots pilot pete pilot jake pavelka yeah (laughs) um but then on and off since then. And then I started listening to some recap podcasts around uh, Ari season. Ari was the older man who returned. And then the recap podcast got me very like locked into it and like analyzing it like a sport or like a, a text. Like it's not, I like Bachelor because it's super not cool. So like so with like Survivor or Drag Race, like there's like a like a self-awareness to it where they're like playing with something. But then Bachelor, it's just like insane spectacle to like watch as like a thing. Like it doesn't even know what it's doing. Yeah, definitely. And and the past couple seasons have brought the show a lot of attention. And like what we're what's happening right now is we're watching a season for the first time where Chris Harrison, the storied sexless host is uh, not present because he's been uh, booted off for handling the issue of race that came up in the last season where the woman who won Rachel Kirkconnell uh, it came out that she had been at a antebellum themed sorority party and she was plantation also- party called a plantation party okay well they keep saying antebellum in the news but um <laughs> And uh, basically, Antebellum slash Foundation, you get the vibe, bad uh, party. And But the whole thing is that she won the season of the first Black Bachelor. So there's been a lot of 
political hubbub about the show now. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're going to kind of probably get into today because we're talking about Katie's season, but specifically episode four, right? Episode four, episode three, sorry. Episode three, which is, which features a very strange sort of round table, black box theater, AA setup trauma confessional where the men have to tell their trauma stories to Katie. And Eloise, you're the one who kind of thought that this would be a good episode to focus on. Can you, can you tell us about how it felt watching it or what you thought about it? Yeah, well, they had never done such an explicit ask for male trauma before. Uh, but it, it has been the, the lifelong expectation of the show, or at least in recent years, for to ask the men to reveal a, a story, their story, or their trauma in order to seem maybe feminized and approachable or ready for marriage. <laughs> and I think they did it this season probably because, like you said, the franchise is very much cancelable, if not totally cancelled. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that they were trying to preempt any further <laughs> cancellation by making the men reveal their potentially cancelable offenses on their own accord. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I definitely, I, I saw your, I saw that note that you made that, that they're like kind of trying to prevent a future cancellation. And I thought that was a pretty good take because the show is like cunning like that. Like it's never motivated by anything except keeping the franchise's image and purpose alive. Um, so I agree with that. It's also interesting because, like, I remember, I guess, a couple years ago, the word cancel, like, came into, like, common parlance to mean, like, like, what, I don't even, I don't even, like, what's a, what's a modern or a contemporary understanding of cancellation? It's when you, like, excommunicate. Um, It's like a, it's like a social excommunication um, that, like, not only can you not, uh, like, interact with a certain person because it's something that they've, like, said or done, you also have to, like, cut off any former affiliation with that person. But it's interesting because the first time I heard the word cancel as a very young millennial was, like, with a TV show. You know what I mean? Like, your favorite TV show would be, like, canceled. So right. I, always, I always thought that that, like, and then it, it kind of comes full circle back to The Bachelor. Mm. Uh, I was, I was, that maybe that's just kind of like, it's almost like a ironic pun or something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That it's like now like the TV show is afraid of its own cancellation and also it's cancellation. It's like, it's social and like network oriented cancellation. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the actual setup of the episode. So, yeah. so for this episode, um, Katie's men were, so they go on, if you haven't watched the show, it's pretty despicable and like a total circus, but you should watch it. But basically what happens is they go on these, sometimes they have group dates and there's like, there's themes. And so this group date, they were brought into like a dark auditorium looking setting. And there were chairs in a circle with like very stark spotlights on them. And in a previous bachelor, Nick Vial was on and his job was sort of to be the, 
mediator of this group therapy, although I don't think we can call it that, um, trauma expose session is like Mm -hmm. the only way, like I heard some people's call it like a group therapy thing, but I thought that that was pretty not accurate because there was not any sort of goal of sharing with a community or, or working through your trauma. It was just share it in this very stark way. And I think we all agree that the goal of that sharing was to win Katie's heart. It reminded me a little bit of if you're in a new classroom setting and you have to go around the class and introduce everybody introduces themselves but now in addition to just like your name your favorite color your pronouns it's the new addition you also have to say your very tidy story of wrongdoing (laughs) and you just like go around the class one by one and and now the like this the stage is set to have relationships with your classmates yeah and they they set it up in a way that was like I want to hear the hard stuff I want to hear the real stuff and it's like why what what about like you know your biggest accomplishment or like a challenge you overcame? like why did it have to be so set up in this super exploitive dark way like they specifically wanted worst memories I mean I know why because like it fits in our in our moment and it's good TV, I guess. Well, it's not even good TV. It's actually, it's a bummer. Yeah, I totally agree. It's actually like bad TV. It was so awkward. It was so awkward. And I, I mean, right. I think that that is one of, the, so, so what happens is, I guess for people who haven't seen the show, like this episode of the show, but who know a little bit about The Bachelor, Katie still at this point has like what like 20 men because it's only like the third it's only like the third episode or something so less than 20 less than 20 15 I don't know actually it could be anything I take it back episode three yeah because you start with 35 and then it goes at that point maybe 20 she oh my god I forgot I forgot that it was 35 oh my god (laughs) I know and in six weeks it's great. It's like the whole, I think that we should also get into that, like the whole structure oh, yeah. of this show and the time frame and it like every word, words such as truth, vulnerability, time, reason, they all adopt new, new social meaning in the span of this six week like fiction. Yes. Anyway, so she has like double digit men. So it's still, I guess, in the scheme of the show, a lot of guys. She hasn't kissed all of them yet, which seems like a big deal. Um, and she, she's like, she gives them the date card and she's like, love is about being honest. So dot, they're like, dot, yeah, dot, dot, dot. And then she doesn't say love Katie. Yeah, she doesn't say love Katie, which like freaks them out. Um, and then they like enter this black box theater and they sit down and all of a sudden this very attractive man, Nick, is like, I've been where Katie is obviously like you guys are good guys but we want to like weed out who's not being vulnerable and he, he says he says quote I'm here to hold you guys accountable and then immediately with no warning he's like you need to be honest about every horrible thing you've ever done to a woman and so these men all of a sudden have to go around in a circle like they don't even know each other they're just trying to like fuck Katie you know what I mean 
or not even they're all weird sexless freaks right it's just like a very weird situation (laughs) and it's weird because it's like almost this non-consensual like emotional intimacy which at the end katie who's the bachelorette is like okay well you guys have been vulnerable enough so i'm going to share my story and her story is actually a story about as she says not giving consent in a sexual encounter and how that fucked her up and made her forced her into an intimacy with this guy who like apparently raped her so i i mean i'm not like i don't want to compare like rape to forcing these men to like talk about shitty things that they've done but i thought there's like a really interesting parallel between this between non-consensual intimacy which then drives uh, this almost like faux vulnerable togetherness i do have some pretext for this date if you don't mind my sharing yes eloise has literal tea i'm (laughs) who is an editor of of the franchise on the 4th of July, eating a hot dog. He tells me uh, two amazing pieces of tea. I, I only expose you to one so far, but here it, here's oh a that is related to this thing. The producers of the show called the ex-girlfriends of all of the contestants who were to be on the date and asked the ex-girlfriends for any uh, male, female wrongdoing that the men have committed to their exes they then told the men that they had called their ex-girlfriends and knew everything but wouldn't specify what the everything is so like they it could be it could be the worst possible thing that they've ever done to a woman so the men went into that date prepared for their worst male-female relationship wrongdoing to be revealed one way or another. And that set Nick up as the host of the date to, to say like the, the biggest catchphrases like ghosting, cheating, etc., mm. Which prompted them to share everything rather than right. like, well, and sometimes, you know, I don't follow through with, with a female that I met. <laughs> Um, I divorced my wife because and left my children at a young age because I my focus uh, was diverted by my work I was trying to build a a stable foundation for my family etc etc the second piece if you are ready for it is that and this is wait wait wait. no boss boss we gotta we gotta talk about that okay I think I think that that is perfect. I mean, that's part of the reason I do like watching The Bachelor. It's because there is so clearly an insidious producer machine behind it. Like they're they are they are evil. Like they are like trying to just get. They're just manipulating everybody. And these people, I'm sorry, are so dumb and they're so mm-hmm. manipulatable. <laughs> I think that crosses a line. That was like shocking to me. And I've watched the show forever, but like as far as I'm concerned. Once you're in those four walls or whatever of the bubble or the mansion, you are fair game to be manipulated for television. But going into your personal life and talking to your like family and exes and friends and like threatening everyone with this, that's like, that's kind of, be that's beyond to me. Well, I think now that 
a, a winner, so to speak, has been canceled for going to a plantation or antebellum themed party. Like, to me, that feels like anything the person has, any contestant has done is like fair game for cancellation. Yeah. And that, that, I don't know if that's a recent uh, practice of like asking people, uh, you know, friends and family and exes of the contestant for all of their dirty deeds. But I wouldn't be surprised if it is also in order to, to preempt any, any more dig to the franchise it's already like halfway down the grave well i've i've heard i did hear like on like bachelor party which is a great recap podcast um i did hear her say like that um it has become much more like they are doing a lot of much more background research on people like to make sure that they're not you know picking people who to be on the show who are going to win and then come out as because like what their worst what the bachelor's worst fear is that they're exposing in this even without knowing that the producers did that what what the show is exposing in this date is that the worst thing that could happen for the franchise is to have a man win who was accused of assault like Mm -hmm. that's there that would tank the whole franchise like it Mm -hmm. would that would be it like it would be a huge i mean people would still watch but i think it would i think it would dramatically reduce their ratings and ABC might drop them. Like, I think that's, that's like, I think that's for me, that's what this was really like exposing. And I thought the weird commingling and like Tobias, I think we should talk about like your kind of your sort of subsect that you wrote about kind of storytelling and trauma sharing, because what I felt was really interesting about this episode was it was like the show was threatened by me too. And then Katie had her me too moment. And it was kind of, see, for me, I thought that these men exposing themselves, like, it was definitely hostile. But then at, right after they shared it, they were, like, praised and given a lot of, like, a lot of, like, you know, from Katie, like, a lot of attention. And then somehow it became their Me Too movement by, like, they them saying, like, something bad has happened to me or I've done something bad mm-hmm. was them, was their ability to like participate in this like truth telling moment where we like all understand shit happens to each other. Um, and that was very confusing to me because it, 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 that was really weird that it ended with a literal me too moment from Katie. Um, and the men were like, the men were like being pressed to expose themselves as somebody who had like me too mm. someone, you know what I mean? I don't know. But, but all, I mean, something I was thinking about, uh, during this episode and like with uh with Connor um Connor is one of the the men and I guess he's like at this point he's like a forerunner or to the audience he's a forerunner and he starts this story and he's like I was in a really bad place and I was a musician and I was a PhD dropout and I was uh drinking way too much and I had this girlfriend and he he sets it up as if he had done a really horrible thing and I was like oh my god like he's going to admit to like like assaulting his girlfriend, you know? Mm. But then he um he he admits to cheating on her, which is bad. You know, I don't want to be cheated on. That would that would end my relationship. But the way that he set it up, I thought that his like male anger and alcoholism was gonna like translate into like a sexual or physical assault. 
Me too. But it was also, right? But it doesn't because that's actually a vulnerability which on the show wouldn't be allowed. Like imagine mm-hmm. if, if one of those men had been like, listen, like when I was 18, I like sexually assaulted a woman. And like, mm-hmm. I've thought about that and I realize it now and I've grown and I'm never going to do it. Like that, they, they, they'd go off. You know, mm. they would never be allowed and the show would be canceled. So I kept thinking about like, what is the type of like, like, like what's the line? What's the line of being vulnerable and what's the line of like upset or, uh, or like wrongdoing in your life that you can cause that you can admit, well, you know? The, the line is, I guess, Thomas yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, the, uh, this one guy, Thomas, who everyone thought was on the show for the quote unquote wrong reasons, which is a huge word that's used all the time, meaning like um, you're there just to be famous, which is insane because of course you're there to be famous. It's literally yeah. the worst way to meet your partner ever. You have a <laughs> one in 35 chance and then like no one else stays together. So of course everyone's there to be famous, but he was kind of a little too obvious about it. And he was really suave and sus. Um, and he was like, you know, you want to talk about red flags? I have red flags for days. We can list them. That's that's a conversation we can have. You know, I when I came here, I didn't know you. And I thought about genuinely, like, maybe I could be The Bachelor. He said something like kind of showing his cards. and But it was also really real to me where he was like, mm-hmm. I don't know you. I don't know if I'm going to be attracted to you. But I came to The Bachelorette and saw what happened. And I'm telling you right now that I like you. Even if I don't know if that was true. But like, that's really vulnerable for the show. I that's totally like agree. Huge taboo. He, he just was not that frank about it. You're, it, it could have been vulnerable and actually honest, but he was incredibly evasive. They had like three mini follow-ups to his mm-hmm. hearing in which he was just talking about being surprised by how much he liked her. Yeah. Uh, and, and never like being honest about you know it's completely valid to be like I'm coming on this show to meet a stranger everybody on this show all the 35 male contestants are expected to be in love with this one woman like that's not realistic mm-hmm. at all so yeah, he's that, yeah. totally valid in in being like I didn't know I, you know, they don't know who the woman is until the last minute well he's- I think that the that the Thomas thing exposed like, so Phoebe, what you were talking about, like, if there's a line of what's, what's admittable, but there's also, that just exposes the intense falseness that you feel from this show in general. And like, that you feel from this, like, that you feel from the franchise that like, of course, no one has actually done anything that's like, that they're going to be canceled for in that moment. Cause that's the other thing is they're kind of wanting you to watch because be like, what have these people done? Like, what is the worst thing? And of course, no one's done anything like that because otherwise it wouldn't work for TV. But at the same time, like it, it exposes that they don't actually want, they don't want just any kind of vulnerability. They want like a confession of like something that really hurt somebody. Like where it's mm-hmm. like, cause Thomas was being, I think he was being vulnerable. And like, I think it was really honest and I thought it was fucking cool. And like Katie said once she was like, she was like, he's being honest, which is the only thing I've asked of all these men. Like mm-hmm. she did say that. And I was like, cause no one ever says that. And I think that, but that's interesting to me. I don't know if the show's quite ready for that, that kind of fourth wall no. to break, you know, they will be eventually. Cause they're going to have to, because like, it's so obviously the point of the show. 
Um, but yeah, I just felt like that kind of example of the, the real kind of like, no, that's wrong. And now everyone's now everyone's actually canceling you and you're and you're going to get kicked off. Like that was to me like a very good snapshot of the kind of like setup of this date, which is like you're supposed to share the exact right thing. You're not yeah. sharing. We're not just sharing like, you know, we want to hear something the, really bad because <laughs> the men keep unionizing against the who have so usually the villain is liked by the lead and they Mm. kind of stay on too long and everyone's so frustrated but the lead just keeps them on or the producers but we're supposed to believe the lead and this time the villains keep emerging and everyone turns against them and each of them go to katie and katie listens to them and they did that with thomas for saying that basically yeah i think that's an example of um the shift in culture honestly like i think that's a really good example of like people not like that the cancel thing is it's scary enough and it's touchy enough but there also is this kind of yeah i don't know like because that is an amazing that's the insane part of the season is that's never happened like phoebe you haven't watched previous seasons like that's never happened like never do like men usually the men who bring up that somebody's sus are the ones that go home because they're like stirring up drama like this never happens where the men collectively band together so far well i think that it's like a shift it's like a cultural shift to like belief in the masses Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what i mean i think that it's like it's especially with the me too movement you know what i mean or just like or like the whole notion of cancel culture I think that it, I think that it utilizes like a, like a unity of voice that are like, we are only coming together because this is true. Like no longer is the narrative of the individual believed. The narrative of, of the cultural mass yeah. is believed. And I think that Katie, it's like very, you know, and Katie is also, so Katie's white. You know, and mm. I think she, I don't, I don't know where she was brought up, but I, I think she was brought up in a very like, white community. Oh, she's from Seattle. Yeah. Right. Anyway, but, you know, she, 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 there, there are a number of, of black contestants, which I know is kind of rare on The Bachelor, yeah. or, or I, I guess not. It's newer in the past, like five. Right. But she keeps navigating conversations with like the black men that she's interested in and like I don't know in like very um like she knows the right things to say like the like the guy Andrew S who's the football mm-hmm. player based in Austria love him he's like yeah, yeah he's great him. no he was like he was like my last girlfriend was white and she was really scared of having kids with me because they wouldn't look like her and like without skipping a beat Katie goes into this like very like emotional and like well thought out response that he is like yes thank you for that and I'm not saying that it's fake I'm just saying that it's like I think that Katie is like very attuned to exactly what is going on and she's very attuned to exactly how she needs to respond to certain Mm -hmm. like cultural instabilities you know what I mean like she's not going to be another Rachel Kirkconnell Mm-hmm. And she's clear about that. Yeah. They've also probably spent a butt ton of money on like diversity <laughs> coaches. Well, it is said in a way like their, their conversations about um, like identity. It is not said in like a kind of academic workplace way. It, 
it still is in the like vocabulary of the show, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting and Im- impressive. Uh, or maybe it's just genuine. I don't know. I feel like Katie is genuinely has these values. For yeah, some I kind of agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's she is aware tell. of the it's moment. It's hard to tell, though. It's she is aware tell. of the moment, you know? Yeah, but but then it's like you have a moment, and I don't, I guess this is the next episode, which I don't know if you guys have watched, but like, but then there's a moment where Blake, you know, they're riding horses together, and Blake, who's this like big bulky white guy, he's like, well, babe, you're gonna have to be okay with me spending a couple months in Africa taking care of all those poor wild animals who like the Africans keep killing. And she's like, oh, that's so sweet that you take care of those African animals. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I don't know. I just think that like in certain situations, she knows I mean, they're exactly basic what to people. say. They're just basic. Yeah, no, I know. But it's like, but there's like no depth to it. Because it's like, of course, she can have like a heartfelt, truthful answer when she's hit in the face with something where she knows how to respond. I'm talking about Africa as a country when it's a continent. That's like very... 10 years ago you know what I mean and the fact that she yeah. just like giggles and moves on with it yeah that's very yeah right I mean that's very bachelor yeah so the conversation of like the me the me too thing and the the trauma sharing thing so yeah Tobias you kind of wrote in a subsec about this kind of like obsession in the culture with storytelling and like why we need stories to be told and just kind of getting into that. So do you want to like talk about how you were viewing the episode with that? Yeah. Um, are you referring to the one about like, um, like sharing your trauma so you can talk about an issue, that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But wh- whatever, I just want to hear, I mean, I just want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I have a Substack and I write a lot about uh, like Gen Z culture, maybe like, um, activist, leftist culture, online culture, music culture. Um, But something I really wanted to grapple with is um, I was an organizer with the Sunrise Movement for a few years and it became a super normalized part of our like communal practice to be telling stories about who we are and what made us who, um, what made us who we are and stories from the climate crisis and why we're in this fight. And it was kind of a way of understanding like a universal struggle uh, even within our like specific stories. Um, But that happening all the time and kind of so normalized telling your story made it so, and and this is something that I see in in a lot of spaces, not just uh, Sunrise and I love Sunrise, uh, but it was just something I would think about um, that like anything you said had to be paired with a story from your life. So um, let's say we're talking about sexual assault. Uh, I could not just offer a view on assault or a, a certain situation or kind of have a, I don't know, have my own like nuanced perspective on things unless I like disclosed what my relationship with this subject is, um, just for example. And like, that's not like said literally, but just in the ways that like the culture forms itself is like, you would say like, as a survivor. Um, but what if you don't want to disclose your relationship to a subject uh, to talk about it? Like, what if that's really, really, really private and you want to offer your view on an issue, but not necessarily tell the story of your relationship to said issue? Um, so this felt related to that, the way that like the sharing 
of our most personal stories has just become like another topic, another like bullet point to offer before saying what you're saying. Um, and it's, it's very strange and very unique to our moment, I think. Yeah. I mean, you can see that with Greg even, like Katie's relationship with Greg, you know, cause Katie, like even, I think it's the second episode, she discloses that like her father died. And then Greg is like, my dad died too. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think that like, because of that like shared trauma, that shared catastrophe, that's kind of the glue that's like pulling them together. And I mean, Tobias, like I'm interested in like, like, do you think, do you think that the necessity to like share probably like some of the most intimate um, vulnerable moments of, of our lives, like these very traumatic moments in our lives, like, do you, do you think that that insistence to share is, is because those stories like aren't shared enough in in one-on-one -on -one settings like do you think that it's because there's like a compulsion to share or do you think it's because there's like there's like more of like a social urge a justification i think um i think there's certainly a lot of people and this is more on like the mass cultural level who believe in the importance of telling stories so people can contextualize their own lives and not feel alone if they thought they're the only person who went through X experience in that particular way. So I think on a mass scale, people, um, people say that and believe that. And I think that is actually quite true for like movies, TV, you know, you, um, a lot of art should be cathartic in the sense of like representing your own experience and making making you reflect on that in certain ways. Um, but then in like the interpersonal sense, which is very different than like a huge movie or a TV show, what, what I came down on is that it's really about being sensitive to others and not speaking out of turn or too brashly. Um, yeah, because like making universal sweeping claims um, has been seen in the past to be uh, very dangerous and uh, can lead to some really, really dangerous blind spots. So to avoid that, I think people feel the need to locate their relationship to anything that they're, they're talking about. So it's super clear that they're speaking from the eye and not some like kind of shallow, uninformed mass. I feel like it's also a modern familiarity with um, self-branding in a really straightforward, easily legible way um, in the way that we all have platforms and are familiar with putting ourselves forward within like within a, the frame. Even like the idea, the idea of any person having a story to me is something that's that's difficult for me on a personal level to approach like that expectation that I tell my story in general, I hate telling stories. <laughs> it's really hard for me to. I, I never feel like I tell them in a way that uh, fits linearly with like the the expectation of the type of story, whether it's like a people <laughs> bad at storytelling. So maybe a personal aversion to that. But I do feel like um, there's a new familiarity with that ask. And like here, if the, if you're 
if what you're talking about, Tobias, is more like having to reveal identity in order to speak on an issue, it feels like the this is like revealing readiness to be married. Yeah, exactly. To a stranger after six weeks. Well, to my, like in I in the in the Substack, I think you mentioned this idea of like it's like an exchange of like in exchange for like telling your story, like you get to hear somebody, there is some sort of exchange, um, like economy going on with this storytelling. And, and what's crazy about this episode is that in exchange for you being vulnerable, which also like, we probably even can't get into like, what the fuck does that even fucking mean? Like if you're not just telling something horrible that happened to you, it's vulnerable, but that's not the, that's not the end of vulnerability, but like, Mm -hmm. but you know, them sharing their vulnerable stories is like a ticket. Like it's literally, cause this, this show is like all about that. It's like a ticket to like getting time with Katie or Mm -hmm. being loved. Like if we're going to like meta it a little bit, like it's like pretty fucked up. It's like, you have to be vulnerable in this like exploitative place where you probably don't feel safe because now we have Eloise's tea that, you know, they were told beforehand that they knew everything, but they didn't know what they knew. So they had to say everything because if they Mm -hmm. had left something out, they were in fear of being called a liar. So they weren't safe. And then, but they had to make themselves extremely unsafe to then receive this promise of love. And like, Mm -hmm. that is just like pretty fucked. And also I think that I don't know, maybe this is like a little too far of a reach, but I do think it's in, like, we should, I think we should touch on this is like something about the bachelorette seasons lately. And the fact that there's three bachelorette seasons in a row this time is like America wants to see, or the me too move, whatever this kind of moment is, we want to see men in a, in a position of weakness. We want to see them being like cucked. Like we don't want to see them strong. And like, you know, like we don't, we want to see them in this position of weakness and, and the bachelorette, like all the things that they do on the bachelorette are, I mean, every, the whole show is humiliating, but anyway, I just thought that that was like a really like, I was like, Oh, we like, it's kind of like Katie punishing them. Like she's, it, it, mm-hmm. she is a little dominatrixy, which Phoebe, I know you have some thoughts on. Yeah. Well, t- uh, did, Tobias, did you want to say something? I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about the like how it's an exchange and also by the way i i do agree with the latter point there's like a there's like a kind of like um joy and like watching these men like excavate themselves in a way that's obviously so uncomfortable for them like they'll be like oh yeah you know when i was uh just out of college and my dad died and i just wasn't like i don't know they're like speaking such a bro-y syntax and then they're saying like horrible sad things it's yeah but in The Bachelor, talking about like currency and doing well in the show, there's like basically two forms of currency dictating how you're falling in love with the lead. So it will be like, I think the first step is I could see myself falling in love with you. I'm beginning to fall in love with you. I'm falling in love with you. And then finally, I'm in love with you. And it's like episode by episode. It happens every season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one is just plunging deeper and deeper into your trauma and like revealing something. Because, like, they only get, you know, if you, you win and you get proposed to or propose, you probably only had six dates, like, one-on-one, probably less. What? You don't have six. 
one-on-one dates if you win? Four, I would say, maximum. Yeah, okay, so I was too high. Um, Historian, <laughs> Eloise Hess, statistician. <laughs> so, like, how are you going to ease into that? Each time you need to notch well, it up. I actually don't think that's true. I think you need, you reveal once, and after which there's no more reveal to be done because the reveal uh, is so tidy. It's like, like Gemma said, it's the ticket. And then it's in the past, and there's no more building on yeah. that. There's no more learning from that. It's like the a reveal. Book, and then you can move forward with marriage after you have revealed. And the reveal is the expected outcome of the one-on-one date. Super explicitly. Mm-hmm. I, I also feel like the exchange between the male and the bachelor, bachelorette, the male con- contestants and the female contestants is very unequal. Um, yeah. Like the, the male contestants are at least in super modern bachelorette, um, they need that that reveal, that ticket to enter acceptance. The females, it's like, all expect that the females have experienced terrible trauma. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it doesn't need to be stated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, you could see that in this particular episode when Katie at the end revealed her personal trauma of of what she called a, a sexual exchange without consent. It was like a shock that she had, that she had reciprocated the gift of, of, of the trauma reveal. And yeah, all of the guys were commenting on how impressive it, it was and how it was, she didn't need to do that, you know, mm-hmm. even though they needed to do that in mm-hmm. order to receive any promise of future Uh, potential with this woman yeah I think you're like that is so on the nose I think that that's like this a perfect encapsulation of what happened and I you know I think that like instead of or I guess another word Gemma for what you're saying like the men are cucked or whatever (laughs) I think it's like an expectation that the men become women yeah you know it's like this it's like this exploitative forced feminization of the men you know what I mean? It's like, it's like women have trauma. All women have been raped is kind of the ethos <laughs> yeah, of the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's where the show's coming from. It's like, oh, you like see a woman and you're like, oh, this poor woman, she must have been so overpowered by all these huge men who she unfortunately is so stupid that she like surrounds herself by and is manipulated by. You know, and I think that it's like this practice of like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a type of control or maybe it's a type of this like faux wokeness. I I don't like that word, but it's like, or or, or it's like coming to terms with like gendered difference and gendered power, especially in like a heteronormative, like cisgendered, that, that like world, that universe in which the bachelor like like eats from, you know, mm-hmm. like it so is that. Um, I, I I think that it's like there's like this uh they there's like this desire, especially from someone like Katie, she just like desires that these men are just like just like become nothing. 
Like she, she she doesn't want to like empower them through like intimacy. She literally wants to, I feel like strip them of all power by making them into these like vulnerable femme fatales who can like cry and admit their weakness. And then she even, then uh, two episodes later, she even goes to the point where she like, she's like, you guys can't jerk off anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I feel like, I mean, I, this is like, I mean, I don't, we don't need to get into like the politics of jerking off, <laughs> but I feel like jerking off. It's like, you know, whenever I jerk off, like you feel like really calm and relaxed afterwards. And you have all this pent up anxiety when you don't, when there's like a pressure that you don't, that I feel like she's like almost trying to like make the men more masculine. Like she's trying to ask them to like build up their testosterone. So they start like fighting each other. It's like, it's like the, like the, yeah. like the, the enforced gender dynamics. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think that I totally, yeah, I totally agree. And I think, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is like watching as the show progresses and year by year goes by, like there is a real, and like with this current moment we're in, I do feel that there's like, I think at least a few of these men, um, like they think that they deserve that. Like they you can see it on their faces. Like they, they think that they deserve to be put on the spot and told to like, tell these things. And they think that they deserve to not, to be told like not to, to jerk off. Like there's something like, there is something that they feel that they owe this to being in love. If they're really going to ever find love, they have to like acknowledge who they are as men, but they're not actually acknowledging, of course, who they are as men. They're just like, you know, talking about like the fact that they were like a fucked up boyfriend. And it's like, mm-hmm. I just think that that, um, yeah, I feel this very strong sense that there are, that these men like that they do in a sense, think that they deserve it. And the more hey. that the seasons go on, the more, and the more present and young the men are, the more, the more I feel that. Can I, I just say one thing? Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. I think it's also an effect of um, the lack of Chris Harrison, the loss of Chris Harrison. Obviously, Chris Harrison is not asking the men to, what did they call it? Wow. Wow, wow. Wow, wow. Uh, like wow, wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can we just explain to the viewers, like, to the viewers and the listeners? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, but it's, well, no, right, but it's, it's an a, acronym. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting play on language, but it's an acronym for week off, whack off. Week off, whack off. Yeah. That's so bad. That's so bad. So that's Tasha and Caitlin going girl power with Katie. You know, it's it was, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun prank. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine Chris Harrison making the same. Thing. <laughs> Chris yeah. Harrison would literally immediately be fired for rape vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah. <laughs> the vibes, um, I would like to know when you think. Um, this expectation of of the men feminizing themselves by exposing their trauma happened because I actually think it only happened in the past two seasons of The Bachelorette or yeah, I have a bad memory. I ha- also have a bad memory, but I don't remember it happening before Clarence's oh, season. Was the last Bachelorette before Clarence's season Hannah? Yeah. yeah. Okay, which also, if anyone hasn't, watch the bachelor um and once again do a season hannah's is by far my favorite season of new school um so intense 
Okay, that's the thing about the the Bachelorette. This is kind of a tangent, but I'll I'll find a way to bring it back. Like when it gets intense, it gets like it, the whole thing is so like fabricated that it gets there, and you're like Jesus. Like it's like <laughs> it's like way too much, but it's kind of amazing because you like it breaks something. Um, but I guess actually, yeah. Then I think some of the like salacious points where like they break the format or kind of break like a barrier made it for such good tv that they kind of now have normalized it into like part of an episode which i think this date was a part of um like some of the most iconic moments in, in bachelor history are like when these like trauma things came up really unexpectedly and like upended the show and now it's like you know, you kiss, you go on a one-on-one, you talk about your dead parent, like, it just, it's now been, like, subsumed, um, which is honestly too bad, because it was so cool when the whole thing just broke down. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of is, like, I, I haven't, this is the first season I've seen of The Bachelor, but I think that it's, like, moments like those, they, it's kind of, like, well, what's gonna happen next? Like what? Like what's gonna break that barrier? It's like what's gonna be so insane that mm-hmm. it's gonna take the place of like revealing trauma when that wasn't normalized. I mean, I also think that it's um, that the show is like the show has kind of replaced the fantasy of a perfect, committed Christian life and marriage mm-hmm. has been replaced with like the fantasy of a partner that's told you everything they've ever done. And like you go mm-hmm. into a relationship completely trusting somebody after four days, the show no longer supports like right now, 20, 2019 to 2021 hasn't really supported this format of the fantasy you're going for is mm-hmm. this, this marriage is a proposal because I don't think a proposal has worked out in several seasons. There, there definitely, or in earlier seasons were more proposals that worked out. And I think that because the show no longer supports that they have to pivot and they have to like find the new format that it supports. The contestants are deeply divorcing themselves from that kind of sense of those, that set of like ethics. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're aligning themselves much more with an ethics of like honesty and vulnerability and like, sexuality and like katie's position on matt james's season was the literal tattletale and then she was sex positive she's like this very like kind of progressive contestant Mm -hmm. and the show is more progressive but it's still trying to align itself with these really like christian values yes i think that you can see this in the in like the two second moment where when it's like the don't jerk off or whatever and i don't even know his name that like the virgin he's like you guys are gonna have a really hard time with this but like me as a christian who's waiting for sex until marriage like i've been waiting for this my whole life you know what i mean i think that that just kind of shows that like the expectations like katie's expectations actually map perfectly onto these like very fundamentalist Mm -hmm. christian values yes yeah yeah, it used to be like Christian Mingle, the TV show. Yeah, it literally did. <laughs> yeah. There was a huge breaking point, which I always go back to. Obviously, Rachel Lindsay was the trailblazer, and they made her be that way. But on her season, there was a, an incredible contestant who 
I still think so fondly of who has not had a continued life in the Bachelor Nation. His name was Eric. And on he made it to like Final Four. I don't know if you remember Tobias, but I'm looking him they up. They went to the home in Baltimore, I believe. And it was the first time that the couple did not go to the the like suburban home of the family of the Final Four contestant. And he said in that episode, like, yeah, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna go to my home because like I, you know, my family doesn't have the home that's set up basically for like the expectation of the show. I love going to all the hometown episodes and looking at all of the houses of the contestants because you can see how homogenous the casting has been. Mm-hmm. And he on a basketball court in, in Baltimore was like, no, we, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not like, ex, you know, bringing all, all of the film makers into my family's home. I'm just not doing that. And that, that to me was a, a major break between like the homogenous Christian mingle seasons. Yeah. Up yeah, to Rachel Lindsay. Because they usually go into the house and there's like a you know prayer keeps the family together like sign and like yeah. black background. Um, yeah, I, I I think also I remember in Rachel's season, um, his dad was like part of some like cult or very kind of niche. There's this guy contestant Dean, Dean and it. Dean, his dad was part, like, became like an ashram or like some very. That was Dean. Dean, 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 who's like Dean who won. Wait, Dean who like went home with Caitlin on Paradise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course he has a cult. He's from Boulder, and his dad like lived in a cabin and was like uh, like a form of like Sikh or Buddhist, and it was like was singing songs, and it was like there was no vocabulary for that in the show, and everyone looked really uncomfortable. I mean, also he had a bad relationship with his dad. Like the whole thing was just like, it actually kind of connects back to the trauma date. Like there was no way to make that like cute and with a like a like a bow. Like his dad became extremely religious with this religion that his son is not, uh, like lives like a monk and they have a horrible relationship because his mom died and like it fell apart after that. Like there's nothing to gleam off of that it's just like a shit his shitty situation yeah so i feel like that's the whole thing with all of these stories it's like i just imagine someone saying like something just bizarre or fucked up this is not fucked up it's just different for most people like if they're like i'm a furry like i dress up like an animal and have sex with strangers like there's nothing to like what the show can say anything (laughs) (laughs) there's certain things the show could just not respond to they're just like (laughs) You just could like imagine the lead being like, uh huh, like. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, yeah, test that cake. Katie did like the furry. She okay, loves Connor Yeah, Peter I think that's always in my head. One person did come <laughs> on the first night at, dressed in a cat outfit, and she was Connor. like making out with him the hardest. Yeah, sick freak. <laughs> I, later, she I sent him home for lack of chemistry. I know. Yeah, sent him home. He's like, such a nerd. <laughs> No, because he was a bad, I mean, you can tell that he's a bad kisser because they kiss for, like, two seconds and he, like, like, sticks his full tongue in her mouth and, like, I literally have to vomit every single time, like, a gag. He holds her head so aggressive. She kisses so weird. It's, like, the head bobbing. I thought Matt was a weirder kisser. 
there what? Matt from, the lead from last season, Matt, he oh, he kept his eyes open. So bad. Psychotic. So bad. <laughs> he does have small lips and huge front teeth. So I think it would be Connor or Matt? No, Katie. Katie has Katie. tiny lips and, and very forward front teeth. I, I feel like, I don't know. Kissing it's hard to be so filmed. Weird. Kissing, Kissing on so- TV must be horrible. Kissing yeah. is like such a strange thing. And like whenever like I, you know, I've been in like a committed relationship for a couple of years and like sometimes there'll be like a picture where we're kissing. And it's always I'm like, ew. <laughs> I look disgusting. <laughs> like this is like not a moment that I want like to be viewed. You know what I mean? Like in the sanctity of my own home. Like I have a weird double well, chin or to be honest, weird. that's real vulnerability. The thing is, is this show does give us moments of vulnerability, but it's it's getting worse, Tobias. You're totally right that like Hannah Brown season was like the fucking best, and like yeah. it's getting worse because they're packaging the moments of vulnerability. And like there were some moments on earlier seasons where like you were like, holy shit, this is happening. Like this is happening. Like somebody is divulging something, and there's a real moment going on, and it's interesting. And like, yeah, it's definitely not happening as much anymore. But Eloise we didn't we spent so much time unpacking your first part your first um cup of tea Uh, (laughs) are you ready for the second glass i don't know i'm I'm ready ready. i don't know if i'm ready okay it's it's not okay it's major in a different way (laughs) okay love apparently ever since and i don't recall their names completely but on paradise there was a couple demario and Mm -hmm. a blonde girl Corinne? Yeah. Corinne. Yeah, the rape And stuff. they had a bad sexual encounter. I don't recall it completely, but ever since then, says my insider, they film all sex. All <gasps> sex is filmed. <laughs> no, no, it's not. You're joking. In order, in order to... This must be super secret. The, the editors watch it. And they're just looking out for consent. So they're supposed to, she's an editor. She's supposed to not like get to, you know, jiggy with it herself. She's so she supposed- can't jerk off to it. She can't jerk off to them having sex. No. No. Uh, it would be a faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> but also, she did mention that her superior editor commented on the number of minutes she re-watched a certain sex sequence so they're being the editors are being watched watching the sex anyways they're only supposed to be watching for all instances of consent to make sure everything is they have to the contestants have to vocalize all consent like okay we're going to switch positions that has to be consented okay that's no, that's no, 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 that's, no 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 i don't believe that that's like that's insane i believe that it's and i also insane. believe that this person you need to give me her name and phone number. And I also believe that she's going to go to Bachelor Nation jail. Yeah, just stop saying her age. <laughs> we need to, like, yeah, Gemma, honestly, just, like, beep out. Like, literally do the Redacted information. Redacted. I do think it's hilarious, though, that she, only like, this person straight out of so much power. Okay, don't say the college. <laughs> oh, my God. You'll cut it. You'll cut it. Wait, 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 Eloise, can you text me this person's name? Because that my, my brother just turned 22 and went to that school. So maybe knows this individual. Would probably know. I don't know the last name, but I will text. This hero. That is so, that, that oh is my disgusting. God, that, that is well, so insane. So I think um, like another part of the 
male female dynamic is like the relationships in the house are always interesting to me like on the bachelor i feel like the women always become really good friends and like it's a little less obvious with the men because they like don't want to be like gay but they do like definitely like they do like they're so bored and lonely and like sad that they like so and they gay. don't have phones and they don't have phones but like there like we were we were all sharing screenshots of um that one episode where like Greg and Connor are like fully spooning each other on the couch like like well like they're getting a date card like they're I do I think that this intense kind of intimacy is born in that situation well I really want to know more about all of their relationships and friendships but yeah because it's obviously intense like when Connor was sent home from his one-on-one so Connor went on a one-on-one and then at the end of each one-on-one you get a rose or you don't get a rose meaning like if you get a rose you get to stay and it's kind of rare for someone not to get a rose and Connor was not given a rose um even though it seemed like she was liking him because he was a bad kisser which is and really, really he sad. got the first impression rose we just have yeah to- no he didn't Greg did no. oh no yeah yeah Oh, You're right. Well, he, he made a good it. first impression. He made a very good first impression in his cat suit, um, meaning his literal cat outfit. Um, literal. <laughs> so when he was going away, like the men were like sobbing and like hugging and like actually, I think no. one kissed him, and it was like it was like he was gonna die. Like they're like I've never <laughs> seen that. He's gonna go back, and they're gonna slit his throat. Like it was so <laughs> intense. It, it must be crazy between them. And it was out of the norm. They usually, a man, like a security guard comes in and picks up an awaiting suitcase. Oh, really? Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) They usually don't like love the guys. No, that's never, I've never seen that before. It's never happened. That's insane. They also all, you know how they were debating whether Hunter had a, a top four, and he did have a top four. Yeah. Connor was <laughs> named in his top four. I think they all, like, subscribed to the top four and were in full. Yeah. And, and so they were shocked for their own, you know, being Trey or somebody who has nothing to talk about except the other men. Yeah, like, Trey. He could go home. What Trey's got to get a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Trey's gone. Well, I know, I know, but at that point he was still. Oh like, yeah, so okay. Like, how would yeah. I be here and number at least four in Hunter's top four? Yeah. yeah. Just um, I just want to like I don't know. I just want to like say that I hate Hunter so much, <laughs> and I hate Blake so much. I, I kind of like Blake them. right now. I'm Wait, why do you like right Blake? Blake hates the drag queens. Blake's like, oh yes, the- look at them. <laughs> no, no, no. I think he was just he's being just horny. No, yeah. I think his his thing from last season is that he's always horny. So he's like, they're beautiful. Am I supposed to be into them? But I, which is whatever. Right. I don't know his inner life, but um, I guess I like Blake right now because okay, it does seem like he is comfortable in himself and. like there's something there that would be attractive like in person like the way he was kissing her and like being confident with her when he came in to save the day which was so weird like she after she dumped connor the producers told him to bring a boom box like that movie with the movie say 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 anything um but he kind of came in and saved the day even though obviously like the producers asked him to do that and i don't know he was he was kind of 
confident and maybe masculine in a way that the men, other men were afraid to do and like do a kind of like grand classic gesture. Yeah, but it's so interesting because like the, I feel like John Cusack, Cusack, who mm-hmm. um, who lives in Chicago with me right now, um, not in my house, but but miles away. Anyway, I feel like he's kind of like an effeminate dude, especially in Sandy thing. You know what I mean? It's almost this like loner, effeminate gesture to like have the boombox with the trench coat. You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. feel like these like uh, like the uh, um, uh, like points of masculinity or like romantic masculinity that these men uh, use as like, like the, their romantic foundation. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden the era has been shifted from like an era of like post-World War II hyper-masculinity to this like almost like beginning the birth of the sad boy, you know, mm. in like the eighties and nineties with like the emaciated heroin chic, whatever, who are just like, mm-hmm. like the most masculine thing you can do is like what like take a lot of drugs be hairless and ghost people you know what i mean like you two <laughs> yeah. your feelings to communicate mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. that's where I, I just think that that's interesting because you see someone like blake who's like very like his body is built in such a manly man way mm-hmm. for him to revert to the aesthetics of like 1980s soft boy that's mm-hmm. like an interesting form of masculinity that Katie is then enamored by. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, he's Canadian, right? So Canadian culture oh. is 10 years behind at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Phoebe texted Ooh. me that she hates Blake's perpetually wet lips. <laughs> <laughs> I really so don't like wet. his facial hair. He I'm looks fun, like a cartoon. Like I don't like his yeah. giant freaking head. There's something always though, and I, I think that there's like something about Katie, which is it, okay, I, I kind of want to go, and this is probably like a niche thing on my part, but in in episode three, which is the trauma episode, so they're all having their like big black box theatrical AA meeting trauma circle, right? A vulnerable like orgasm. And meanwhile, it cuts to the image of Michael A opening up to James and another dude about his trauma. I think it's James and Greg, or I, I, I actually Wait, don't know. Who the Michael the Widower when he opens up to everybody? Yeah, no, no, he not op- when he opens no. up to everyone. No, not when he opens up to yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. He does it's, to Mike P he, and another random guy. Yes, James and Mike P. Michael A, it cuts to him and it, it, the producers or the editors make it seem like it's simultaneous. It probably wasn't, but it's interesting that it happens within the same time frame. He goes, guys, I got to tell you something. I'm a widower. I was married. Then my wife, we had a baby. Then my wife got breast cancer and he starts crying. So he kind of like without the black box aesthetic, he opens up about his life. And it's cancer, his wife had cancer. And then it's it's fascinating to me that after the group date, the black box vulnerable group date, that Aaron says about Thomas, he goes, Thomas is a cancer. And they gotta get rid of him. 
You know what I mean? And I thought that there is a strange parallel between Thomas being a cancer and getting rid of him and the cancer of Michael A's dead wife. You know what I mean? It was like this strange parallel between these like cancerous sources of, of vulnerability. And I thought that like, you know, usually in reality TV, especially in like um, the Kardashians or Real Housewives or Vanderpump Rules, there's like the A plot and the B plot. And the mm-hmm. A plot is what drives it and the B plot supports it um, through like similar themes. And you even see this in like sitcoms like Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, I thought that 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 like the vulnerable cancer was was like a very subtle nod mm-hmm. nod to to something, but maybe that was maybe that's just like reading two and like maybe that's just like the curse of reading two and two these dumbass shows. I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, you know. Yeah. It doesn't, I feel like it doesn't, there's not much to say about it. It's just kind of. It is, it is, it is like, but it is a nice poetic moment to like, you know, become aware of. I think there's something. Um, I think that on, on that note of, of Michael A, like who doesn't, the thing is too about the, the kind of whole situation with the confessional black box theater moment is, um, we are actually now we like like there's certain people that we like a lot more than the others because they don't need that to to tell us something and like michael is like that like he doesn't need he he wasn't on that date and that was probably the producers being a little bit generous because that would be too much for him to like share in that setting like that would have been cruel that would have seemed cruel and like but like the fact that he has been able to say that and been so honest that's what he's like my favorite. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. but, but, but I'm, I'm still playing into this whole vibe of like, I'm playing into the, I'm loving that he has something real has happened to him and some like real trauma has happened to him and he's really able to talk about it. And he's able to seems to be like still moving through the emotions. And I think that like, that is, I'm compelled by that. And I'm not saying that's like good or bad, but I think that like, at the, so at the same time that the show is trying to manufacture these kinds of moments of trauma, like he is bringing something very real and traumatic to the show. And I would bet that's why he's cast, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they knew that when they, when they cast him, his, his conversation there had a foil to the cancerous conversation or like had a compliment to the cancerous conversation about Thomas. But he, but I think Michael is, is able to present some real sort of confession or, vulnerability that is refreshing that that if it wasn't him it would be really weird well it's just like this like perpetual relationship between like the literal and the metaphorical in in Mm -hmm. reality television at all you know what i mean like um like like there's always that like you know kim kardashian posted on her her instagram a couple days ago with herself in like a sci-fi fantasy hat which so many people are like, oh my god, sci-fi fantasy. She's admitting it. Kim Kardashian is admitting that she's a sci-fi fantasy. But it's just like it's just a brand. Sci-fi fantasy is just a brand, and she's just promoting another brand mm-hmm. called sci-fi fantasy, and it's kind of cool. It's kind of retro or whatever. And I and I I think that um, these these shows get very lost in this like subconscious rendering 
of, of that relationship, but they only go, they go very surface level. But I mean, I mean, the bachelor is interesting though. Like the bachelor is actually quite compelling because as the viewer, you're learning about these men basically at the same pace as the, as like the, the bachelor, the bachelorette is. I think that that's a compelling part is that you feel doubly implicated in learning about Mm -hmm. these people. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Any final rose thoughts? (laughs) I like Katie more than other people like Katie is my only final thought. I kind of like that she's not like ethereal. It's kind of a little nice change of a pace. And I think she is genuine. I do think that she would not be fun to hang with, but I think she's genuine. I thought Caitlin and um, Jason were so fun as a couple. Yeah, they were cute. They were fun. Ugh, gross. (laughs) Caitlin's fun. She's like, I love wine. (laughs) They're so weird. I think they are setting, I think there's a high probability Michael A is, is the next Bachelor or they're hoping he will be. Yeah, you know, that's a lot to ask. for. But he's going to go home. He's going to go home because of his kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's clearly what's going to happen. Phoebe, I feel like watching The Bachelor for you is like you have to like you have to confront that there are like very basic people in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's not that. No, it's I know that it's not that. Do you know that? (laughs) I do know that, bitch. Um, No, it is that for me. Yeah. No, I know that there are people like that in the world. I'm not like, just because I have no friends doesn't mean I haven't encountered <laughs> basic individuals. You no, know but I mean? it's, it's different from the other, like the especially the Bravo reality TV. It is different. It's a total yeah. brand of basic. It's like basic in a, in like an identitarian way. It's like yeah. heterosexual. This is the male version. This is, it's like a species show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like playing dress up with my Barbies. You know what I mean? Like I used to love Barbies and I'd like make ten, Ken like take a shit on the toilet and then my dad and I would like arrange the shoes. And I feel like that's like exactly what's going on in this, in this television show. It's like, they're like, I, I don't, I don't know. I want, I, you know, like the, like the UK Love Island where they literally show them having sex. Mm-hmm. on camera and they show them taking shits and they show their shits being like big interrupted. Brother. Right. It's like, there's this, um, there is, I guess maybe it's, I, I always kind of succumb to this bullshit analysis, but it's like very American how, even though they're like constantly watching, like even what you're saying, Eloise, where they're, they're even like watching the sex that they're having to make sure that it's consensual but they don't show that they're watching. You know what I mean? Like they, uh, they, they, they only, they show enough to make you feel as if, to make you like relate in your own identity to the bachelor or the bachelorette. And it goes like beyond gender. Cause I feel like even if I was watching Matt James's season, I would be like, I would be like identifying with him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? As like, as as the main character 
it's such a strange fictional world and you really yeah. get propelled into it and it's very stressful for me. I was telling Gemma, like I literally watched this the past episode and I like immediately like went to the gym and like ran two miles because I was like <laughs> I was so stressed out. Will yeah. you continue watching past this uh, podcast episode? Um, I don't know. It's it something about something about the you have to because they're gonna we're gonna have you're gonna have to because we're gonna have to have Eloise and Tobias back on for when it's the, after the finale. Is it not stressful to you guys? To me, it like it like makes me feel sick. Does what it not make you feel that? guys feel sick? The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's disturbed. This, this, but uh, to be sick, like. I've watched the show since I was 10 years old, probably. So I'm. Um, Your parents let you watch the show? The illness is within Yeah. Um, it, this, it's made me feel more sick recently because um, of COVID. They're stuck in a bubble. So it makes it feel like they're in prison more. Yeah. Um, so and that's more stressful. Is, uh, the hotel. I, I can't believe this one is the Hyatt Regency. Okay, <laughs> I was just driving through the country and looking for hotels to stay at in middle America. And let me tell you, Hyatt Regency is in the top five every time. That shit costs like $150 a night. <laughs> I mean, I it's so boring. Like nothing happens. Their sex drives disgust me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it, that's fair. The audacity of you can just tell how turned on they are. I know. I and mean, I think that that's so nasty. But, I would rather watch porn. Like I'd rather like watch like actual people have sex with each other than to watch this like Christian enforced necessity of refraining yeah. from sex and that like strange tepid yes. rotten yeah. desire. Yeah. You know, it's the, not The refrain hot. is disturbing. It's not hot. And I think that it's like, if you want to fuck, go fuck. They obviously do, but they're not doing it. Just make a porno. It's fine. No one gives a fuck. But just watching their, like, heady teenage desire just, like, pulls me back to a whole other psychological traumatic realm that I, I don't want to re-enter. genuinely brave on the trauma date for Katie to, to say that after that experience, she had a difficult time having sex and didn't want to have sex. For a period yeah. of time to say that to a group of ten men, I thought was 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 a genuinely brave thing to do. I agree. Yeah. I thought so. Just to like round out the conversation, like I thought that her story about you know her like non consensual sex that followed um, with a relationship because she was trying to you know justify something to herself or not feel embarrassed or not feel like she screwed up. I felt like it was a pretty nuanced sexual assault story. It was a pretty complicated kind of situation. You know, it's like, you, we did, we're not going to ever get that full story. Like the only person who's going to get that full story is whoever she decides to tell it to, because like, that's a complicated story and there's no mm-hmm. way she could ever tell it all on TV. The vulnerable has its limits. I think that vulnerability mm-hmm. yeah. has its limits. And I think that it's like vulnerability can be a trope and vulnerability can be a, can be a kitsch. But, but you're right. I mean, like the, the real, real, which I guess is like to, to answer my question to Tobias, you know, or, or to continue that line of thought, it's like, what happens next? What happens after the vulnerable, the vulnerable becomes the commonplace? 
it's like you just know that it's like you can't you can't know anyone after four weeks you can't know anyone Mm. after like only making out and then like possibly having sex one time yeah and like seeing where they grew up it's like the real real is 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 situated after the fact which is after the cameras are turned off or yada yada but yeah it's just like this crazy this crazy like middle of the relationship that you become caught up in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining us, Dynamic Duo. We're definitely going to have to revisit this when yeah, the definitely. finale airs. Um, but, you know, keep up with our guests in the uh, meantime. We're joined again by Eloise Hess and Tobias Hess. Um, and Tobias is a wonderful musician goes by Tobias for now. Eloise is an amazing digital artist and painter and uh, she has an Instagram which is private and a website which may or may not be up to date so go check it out. (laughs) Wait and Tobias, Tobias has a substack. What's your substack? Yeah so my music and everything is under Tobias for now and I'm also uh, part of a band God Save the Club Kids that's coming out August 6th. So follow me for updates. Um, and my Substack is Gen Zero. Yeah. Like G-E-N Zero, Z-E-R-O, yeah. Because Tobias yeah. is part of Gen Z. And we yeah. should just know that Tobias is our first Gen, Gen. Zer. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you this so much. This has been Money Can't Buy You Class on Bye. The Bachelor. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank all you so much. So fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> Bye. May not have Bye. Thank the you. Biggest hands you've ever seen. You might not find me in Playgirl magazine. My feet may not be perfect, but I know my own self-worth. And the length of my affections less important than the girth. I'm not the tallest guy you've ever picked up in a bar. But I'm comfy in an airplane or the backseat of your car. I'm not setting any records when I look down in the shower. But baby, I'm a giver. I'll go down on you for hours. And Katie, oh my God, your smile sets off wedding bells. I'd love to see you wear it with little or nothing else. The way you look last night's enough to make me want to scream. You came into my life like something straight out my wet dream. So I think it's safe to say that length is less important than communication, foreplay, and the love inside a man. The greatest lover here Well, let's not let the question linger. Remember, I play piano. I'm amazing with my fingers.